This is a Shock Podcast. Hello, gladiators in suits. This is Jonathan. Hello, everyone. This is Jed. And welcome to episode seven of From Grit to Great. Jed! Hello, hello, hello. We were just out from Mother's Day celebration today. We had a beautiful brunch at my favorite restaurant outside of Metro Manila. And it's the first time that the family came out to that place. And I enjoyed it. I had some great food. It's such a big thing. It's such an in thing today to visit places where you go there just to eat. Yes. like a, yes. a restaurant as a destination. One of the most popular questions that I get in my inbox on LinkedIn and Facebook are folks asking about wanting to work abroad. I think it's something that's close to both of our hearts, Jed, because this was something that we were grateful to have an opportunity at a young age. Oh, for sure. I do have here some five questions. We're going to be answering some of them and we're going to answer them based on our experience. So I'm going to make a disclaimer here. Our experiences, Jed and I, are not the end all and be all. It may work for some people. It may not. However, treat it as like a sounding board. I do think that as young as you can, if you can work abroad or have a stint for a few months or years, do it because I have expanded my outlook and perspective in life just because I was able to work abroad. So Jed, can you do the first question? I'll give the floor to you. Sure. So our first question here is... What's the difference between an overseas worker and an expat? And why do some people use them in different contexts? I'm, I'm kind of laughing because there is um, ah, there's a very political, racial, first world versus third world kind of context. But let me clarify this. At least All, based on our experience. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to say something that is factual. All expats are overseas workers, but not all overseas workers are expats. And why is that? The word being expatriated is a passive verb, meaning you don't do it yourself, someone does it to you. That means it's your company that expatriates you. So if you happen to be working, let's say, for Coca-Cola in the Philippines, and they assign you to work for six months or one year in Coca-Cola Malaysia, you are expatriated, which means because the company needs you to be there, the company likely pays for your housing, gives you allowances, gives you transportation, covers your transportation costs and all these things. However, if you apply for a job abroad and you were accepted, that doesn't mean that you are expatriated. You are actually an overseas worker because you decided to go to another country. The difference between the two is that one is out of your choice. The second one is it's also out of your choice, but there is a party that brings you over to the other part. Does that make sense, Jed? Or is is this the first time you're hearing this? No, no, no. It does make sense, of course. I mean, I've been away and working abroad for more than, for nearly a decade. The term expatriate sometimes can be a very, very loose to some people who has that pride, you know, regardless of whether they were sent abroad by their company or it was their own decision to can come I, and live can overseas. I, can I just say this? The reason why I'm so particular about this because I hate it. I hate it when someone says, oh, I'm an expat. And then at the back of my mind, can you tell me what's your job again? Like, I, I know I will sound snobbish about this, but I don't like it when someone flaunts that they're an expat just to make it look like I am this and you are not. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. It's, it's 
it's a very loose term. Many people has got that pride that even if they were not sent by their company to a new country, they, they would call still themselves as a and as an expat. And to me, it's fair. You know, I mean, when you look at the dictionary, and I'm looking at it now, googling it informally as a noun, it's called it's a person who lives outside their native country, working in another country, often temporarily for work reasons. So. Technically, you could still call yourself as an expat. But yeah, I mean, in many countries, expat now has that more of a, as a technical term, is more of somebody who has been expatriated, forced by their company to live abroad with benefits like car. Exactly. Because Jed, if you apply for a job, if you apply for a job abroad, you are going to be given a salary and all the standard compensation benefits, but the company is not going to cover your housing. It's not even going to cover your flight from your home country to the destination country. If you are expatriated, they cover everything. That's right, right. That's right. I'm also particular about the idea that there is a racial tone to this. I've noticed that if you're from a third world country and you're applying for a job such as cleaning houses, becoming a waiter abroad, they don't call you an expat when technically, if you look at the dictionary, you should be called as an expat. But instead, they call them as an overseas worker, as labor migrants. And suddenly... I love my white friends, so I'm not against you guys, but I'm just saying this. Suddenly, if you're a white person or a Western folk, you're called an an expatriate or an expat. And I see that there's a political undertone to that, which I think is so unfair. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah. But that's the main difference between the two. Anyway, so let's go to number two. Is it true that you will always earn more when you work abroad? Jed, generally, yes or no? I mean, when you are working in, in the Philippines and you work abroad, I think generally you will be getting a lot. But again, it would always depend on the industry and what kind of work you're getting. Mm-hmm. I do hear stories about overseas Filipino workers living in the Middle East, working there. And some of them, yeah, maybe they're are they, they, they do have some increase of salary, but then the working conditions and the uh, living conditions are quite expensive. So in essence, it net net equal, they don't yeah they don't it end, equalizes getting, yeah. it equalizes the, the expenses. So they are rather better to go back home in the Philippines. Yeah. But generally, if you if you got a white collar job, I think there's more opportunities and higher salary working abroad. Agreeing. So there are two reasons why you're likely going to be earning more. Number one is because if you're coming from a country whose purchasing power is lower because the currency is weaker, if you transfer to a country that has a better currency power, then obviously you're going to be earning more, especially if you convert that into your home country currency and you're sending it to your family or you're spending it for investments back home. The second reason is obviously you're going to be earning more because a lot of your benefits are covered by the company, which normally you cover when you are back home, right? So I'll give an example, housing. Most people, housing is 20 to 30% or sometimes even 50% of their entire compensation. But when you get expatriated and the company covers that, then you get to have more net income at the end of the day. So you do end up earning more. I would say go for those kinds of positions because everything is already covered by the company. So yeah, relatively, you will always earn more when you work abroad. Jed, I'll give you the floor for question number three. Okay, so number three here is a sender from Malaysia. He is asking, what are the biggest professional and personal challenges that one would face when working abroad? Ooh, mm. a lot. Um, can I start? I'll go with a quick ones. Number go one ahead. is the difference in the culture. From my experience after I won the Apprentice Asia, I was culture shocked 
I mean, Malaysia is not strange to me because I have visited. It's the first country I've actually visited in my life for work. The first country I visited was Thailand and then Singapore. But Malaysia was the first country I was sent for an international conference. And I wasn't yet accustomed to the idea that it has three main cultures. You have your Malays, you have your Malaysian Indians, and you also have your Malaysian Chinese, for example. And for that reason, some speak different languages and they also have different ways of communicating. Some are some prefer emails, some could be more confrontational, for example. So I think the biggest challenge is being a chameleon that sometimes you don't take it against yourself if someone talks to you in a different way and that sometimes your way, you realize that your way is not the only way. The idea of being culture shocked sometimes forces you to think, am I inferior to some people? Am I superior to some people because I think I know better than they do because how they do things here is backward than how I do things back home. You need to have an open mind knowing that you're not the center of the universe and that culture is relative no culture is inferior or superior to each other. To me, as on a personal note, it's all about the cultural differences, not just at work, but also how people live outside of work, because that's what you really need to cope with. Like, for example, how they do banking in the country where you live. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> just like opening a bank account, as simple as that, could be very tedious for you not being able to speak the, the language. The train knowing. stations, like, yeah. you know, can I add also here, I think the work part is what you mentioned, but this is where the personal part comes in. The only way for you to be able to survive and thrive is to have a very rich network of friends. Yep, It could be friends from your work or friends that you've discovered personally who will be there to guide you step by step until after a year or two, you feel like you're a local already. Yeah. So, you know, there are actually a lot of Facebook groups that does this meant to help all the expatriates, here we go again, mm. all the expatriates or overseas workers from all over the world, should there be any problems about their work, should there be any problems about living in a particular city or in a particular place. Can so, I also add, Jed, there yeah. are also organizations such as, for example, like Internations. Yeah, that's so I've, right. I've, I've, that's I've, right. I've attended one activity. When I was also in Kuala Lumpur, when I went to Apprentice Asia, one of the things that I did was I joined couch surfing, believe it or not. So I joined couch surfing not because I wanted to surf in someone else's couch. So for those who may not be familiar, couch surfing is a global movement wherein for free, you get to stay in someone else's home in exchange for cultural did interaction. Did they even do that until now? They still do. And they were able to survive the pandemic. So in my case, because I had a nice apartment in Kuala Lumpur, I was able to host a lot of travelers mm. in my home. And that was my way of when I still didn't know much locals in Kuala Lumpur, and I still didn't have a lot of friends yet in my company in AirAsia. On a Friday night, I would host a couch surfer, one or two, and then we would go out for drinks, and then I would spend the weekend with them. Of course, on hindsight, it wasn't that sustainable because every time a couch surfer would leave, I'd be lonely again. So that was when I started sustainably looking for friends who are really in the city. And yeah, and they're still my best friends up until this day. So in Singapore, for example, there is a group, a Facebook group called Ex Singapore Expat Network. It's basically a network of 5,000 plus members who are willing to share each other's complaints, their difficulties and challenges. So it's more or like, like how to, like yeah, how do you do this X, Y, Z? It's a crowd. 
crowdsourcing Facebook group. So you just say, I'm looking for something like this, or how do I do like opening a bank account on this? And people will really reach out and help out uh, to you. Can I just say, you keep on mentioning the bank account. I now wonder, probably you had this traumatic experience about opening and keeping a bank account. No, no, no. no. I think it's, it's one of the first things that you will ever do Agreed. when you go Agreed. to another country, when you live to another country. So that's why it has becoming a staple example of mine. Like I forgot. I know I'm interrupting you again, but I will forget this if I don't interrupt you now. When I was also in Kuala Lumpur, there's this global movement that started in Paris. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Drink Entrepreneurs? No. Drink entrepreneurs. So it's like it's a party on a Friday night. You just need to pay for a certain door charge. But the idea is everyone who attends it are either entrepreneurs about to become entrepreneurs or startup companies and VC investors looking to invest mm. in some companies. So it's all about looking for a person you can talk to and share your thoughts about building your own business. And right. most of them right. were people from abroad. I was also able to build a network through that in Kale. If you're going to be working abroad, you have to be ready to be more open to meeting people, even if you're not the kind of person who's into attending parties, who's into meeting people in parks or in events. Otherwise, you're going to end up staying most of the time in your apartment, watching Netflix or doing groceries and spending two hours pretending to look at the nutrition facts because you have nothing else to do. And I think it's also good to point out that living alone without your family or maybe without oh my some gosh, friends as well. It's so bad for your mental health. Um, I swear. It, it really helps to have some support group. And uh, there's a lot of support groups for you out there. It could, it could be on Facebook. It could be on an app. And you should never hesitate to reach out to these groups just to lighten up the burden of living on your own. And Agree. when you are working for the first time abroad, working and living there for the first time, it will be a different kind of stress that you will be experiencing. And it really helps to pour out all the tension, the anxiety with some people, you know, and mm. you shouldn't be keeping it all alone. Okay, we're digressing now. So I'm going to go with question number four. I'll be the one to raise this. It's my first time to apply for a job abroad. Do I need foreign work experience in order to get accepted? My answer here is obviously no. Of course, there will be certain positions or jobs that will require you to have international experience, but many of them don't because they focus not on your ability to have worked abroad, but on the skills required to get the job done. So for example, if you're a marketing guy and you need to apply, you want to apply for a marketing position in another country, as long as the position does not require you to speak a different language because likely in marketing, you have to check posters and social media content in a different language. But if they're speaking in English, for example, then what they're looking for is your experience and your acumen, not because you were able to sleep in a different city five years ago. Last question, Jed. Uh, Your turn to read this one. Yep. So the last question is, is it true that you need advanced studies like MBA to have a higher chance of being accepted? Are the universal licensure tests or credentials needed to work abroad? I mean, I'm a professional and I've got a license in architecture. And so I'd, I'd like, and I've got an and MBA. And you, so. you also got an MBA. So I'd, li- I'd like to answer this first. So on MBA, that's a bit tricky. I mean, a lot of really? people- You're even I, contemplating it. My answer is going to be a quick no. It will depend on the industry, but generally, no. So because I've lived and worked in, in Japan 
So it's a different story out there. Maybe you know Japan is always an exemption. Japan is always a country of excesses in terms of requirements. Yes, and right? it's always a country of exceptions. Exceptions. So what I'm trying to say is that when you have an advanced studies like MBA in Japan, it is a yes. Companies in Japan would want their new employees to have actually studied in Japan. Which I think I'm sorry, guys, but I do think. It's not because I don't have an MBA degree, but I do think that sometimes we require too much of people to the point that we put them into a pedestal, saying that theoretical information trumps experience. Because I have seen some MBA students, and again, I'm not ridiculing you because you're an MBA student. I've seen a lot of them who have finished from the top Ivy League schools, and yet when you put things into practice, I'm like, really, is that all that you got? So I would say that it does give you an edge. But I do think that a lot of recruiters today are smarter in identifying that candidates should be accepted based on what they have accomplished in the past, and not just because of the credentials of their MBA. What do you think? No, I agree to that. I, I agree that an MBA is not really a ticket to be, you know, getting a job as I mean, quick as possible. It makes you stand out. Your resume, when it has that word MBA from X school, of course, you're going to stand out from the rest of the crowd. But yeah, yeah. I don't think that we are living in the 1990s, wherein you suddenly become at the top of the list. I think recruiters no, no, are no. smarter and more. They're more selective these days. I agree. I agree. Uh, but then it always helps. That's a point that we're trying to push out here. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I also add because I've noticed this as a trend lately? There is such a thing now as global inclusion skills or global inclusion certificate. Some call it as diversity. Skill certificate, wherein before you apply for a job abroad, you need to take this test to see if you are equipped to work with people from different nationalities.、Mm-hmm. So it's like a series of multiple choice questionnaires that try to assess your personality and see if you are objective when you look at people who have who come from different races. To put it bluntly, it's checking how racist you are, or it's checking how open-minded you are, or how you're centric about your race. I've seen some companies require this now from their employees when they apply, or it's a plus if you put it in your resume. It's not yet a requirement, but I will expect it in the future. As we become more globalized, it can be something that a lot of employers are looking for. I think there is a trend coming out now about having very stricter requirements of being able to work abroad. So, speaking of licenses, for example, right? Those language tests,、ah, the、I、TOEFL. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm for it. My only issue is, I mean, again, I'm going to sound snobbish here, but in the Philippines, all the universities. And high school and grade school, the medium of instruction is in English, and I do know that we speak good English. And yet, for, I do think it's for political reasons. We are still required to take the TOEFL. You know, I, as, the, much as, as much as I really want to agree with you, I know that there are some Filipinos, for example, and, there I mean, are <laughs> there are Filipinos who can't really speak the language, and so. To me, these types of tests do apply. English is our official language. It is an official language, but it's still considered as a second language. You see, so、okay. th- there's still, you know, a debate on whether we should be exempting universities from all these tests. But then again, that's only complicating the whole thing. So. I know for a fact that it's such a struggle to be going all through these requirements, but then there is a necessity to it. I just feel that some. And of hey, them- by the way, these tests are not that cheap. 
They're very expensive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They are not um, cheap. For example, right. the IELTS. I, I forgot what what this IELTS stand for, but it's the British language test. Yeah, which it's is like a, around two hundred or four hundred US dollars. If you don't pass it, you have to take it again. Imagine how much expenses that you have to take, unless again you're expatriated, which means that the country is going to cover for it. But the fact that they're already inviting you, it means that they're likely not going to require it from you. So this is more of a burden for people applying for a job voluntarily abroad. Ooh, I got excited. I wish I could talk about, you know, working abroad because I wish I can talk about all the stories of my boo-boos, like taking the wrong train station, eating the wrong food, saying the wrong things to my colleagues. But I think we can reserve that for another day. I think, John, you know, as a parting question for me, what do you think, should we change about policies maybe about working abroad for people you know, in a globalized country, what, what should we do about making it easier for people to work abroad? What do you think? Maybe I will change the philosophy of the question because I think I've already mentioned what are those things like. I do think we need to be more relaxed about the TOEFL, at least for the Philippines. Mm -hmm. Again, I will sound snobbish about that. And I do think some people might be raising their eyebrows while I'm saying these things. But I'm going to change the question instead and say, I do wish that there will be a point in time, at least for the Philippines or for countries that are not as developed like the Philippines, that people do not see the need that they have to work abroad in order to have a good Right. I'd rather ask that question that what can the government do? What can the infrastructure of education do? Because going away from your family and from your life and uprooting yourself is one of the hardest things that can totally change your personality. It will be great if it's a six-month stint, a one-year stint or a two-year stint, and you, you go back again and you bring back what you have learned to your mother country and to your colleagues. But if you're forced to work abroad because you need to keep on saving and earning and sending money... I think that does, or that already captures the idea that you're living to work, not working so you can live. Interesting. Interesting. How about you? To me, it's more of how countries are able to support their citizens who are working abroad to be able to make their stay there safer mm. and more secured. So, for example, in our case, you know, I or you are both white-collared workers and we are getting enough pays, right? Uh, salaries, good salaries, so we can live considerably a good life where we have lived before. But for those who have worked abroad because they were really needing money to remit to their, to their home countries, I just wish that there are more stricter and the more reassuring policies for people like them. Like, like safeguards from abuse from their employers. Yes. Abuse from, from, from employers. Also, for example, if they don't get any job for like specific number of months, but there are permanent residents of that country, what could be the uh, fallbacks that they can have mm, supported okay. by the government of their countries? This is so, Jed Yabut, ladies and gentlemen, running for no, senator in 2020. I'm just kidding. It's just that I just hear so many stories about it, and not just for Filipinos, you know, it's for Indians working in Singapore, Bangladesh, it's a construction workers, the Sri Lankans, construction workers in Singapore, in Nepalese, all those Indonesians working in Tokyo, where and, and some of them has got really considerably very bad situation. Some of them... Yeah, like, lots of Filipinos in the Middle East as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So it works not just for like the Philippines being a you know developing country, but some other countries who are citizens of other countries who are getting away because they know that they have some work and services to give, but 
their own government is not providing them the right infrastructures for them to actually live sustainably in that country. Yeah. So I feel for them. I feel for them. And I wish this could all be fixed as soon as possible. And so yeah. everyone can so, live happy. By the way, we're not scaring away people that you're not, that you are going to be having a bad experience now. <laughs> you're going to be working abroad. That's not the point here. But there are always going to be pros and cons. But yeah. people who take risks are the ones who also win. But risks are only good if you also calculate the risk. Happy hunting if you happen to be looking for a job abroad. And we hope you all succeed. So, Jet, thank you for this discussion. I enjoyed thank it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. So, until next so, week. Bye. See you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.